Soft, pre-dawn light is seeping into the window, and you rise noiselessly so as not to wake the other occupant of your bed. Today is the day, and there is no turning back. You put on your robe, as you do every day, and get ready to descend the stairs, making a brief stop in the linen closet. You part the stacks of towels and sheets, and there, in the very back, is a bottle of fine white powder. You hesitate before picking it up, wrapping it in a towel, and stashing it in your robe. You've done this every day for the past week. You know you could stop it now if you wanted to, but you don't. You put on the coffee, pausing to take stock of your home, musing that you already know what it's like to be a ghost because every time you try to do something, your hand seems to pass through it. But not this time. You run your hand over your bruised hip and your bruised heart and know what you have to do. You return to the coffee pot. The sun has come up enough for the light to be yellow, and you hear the floorboards creak from above. Water rushes through pipes with a soft but familiar sound. He's up. Quickly, you spoon powder into the bottom of a cup and then smother it with hot coffee, taking good care to stir it completely. Then you pour your own. He descends the stairs and you hand him the cup, which he accepts with slight tremors in his hands. Right on schedule. Before leaving you in the kitchen. He takes to the dining room to wait for his breakfast. You sink bread in the slots in the toaster and push down the lever. Any minute now. For a few moments, it is quiet. And then you hear it. Gasping. Deep and desperate gasping while the cup hits the floor, shattering into a dozen pieces. But you've anticipated a mess and have the dustpan at the ready. The dull thud of body meeting floor rattles the glasses in the cabinet. He is trying to call for you, but you're nailed in place with intentions. He gurgles. His nails rake the hardwood floor, and then... Silence. The toast pops. You butter it and take a bite. Full sun streams in and reflects off his fixed, open-eyed gaze, and you smile. It was him or you. And you chose him. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we, we would, would be, be dead. dead. Hey, fiends. Welcome to Poison Week. What, what? I know. I'm very excited. First off, I love this episode <laughs> because we get to talk about a little of everything. There's science and botany and murder and Victorian era gender ideals and military subterfuge. You name it. And Poison has got it. Yep. Mm -hmm. The band. I know. I did tease everyone with an Instagram post it featuring Poison <laughs> this week. I didn't even ask you because I knew you'd like it. So. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, I identify strongly with poisoners because they're so meticulous and thoughtful. Mm -hmm. While I would never hurt a soul, like I trap spiders that make their way into my house and scoot them out the back door instead of stepping on them, I do 
I do identify with like the planning aspect of it and the yeah I don't know the amount of like thought and cunning it takes to to commit such an act. And did you know that poison also played a role in early feminism? I I did. I'm actually. glad you did. I hope everybody knows <laughs> now because it did. But we'll get to all of that in just a few minutes. Let's get our business out of the way first. First off, I think we may have mentioned this once or twice, but we have merchandise now. Yeah. Yay. I'm sure we'll have more designs in the future, but for yeah. now you can order our gorgeous logo gear, which also happens to be perfect for spooky season. Do you want to give us like a little update? How do we order it, Leslie? Where do we get it? Well, you can go to our Facebook page at Would Be Dead Pod. That's or us. We Would Be Dead podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> we also have a link so if you go to any of our links on our instagram or facebook or wherever mm-hmm. um even on our podcast page uh there's a, a merch link nice. for it and that's a pre-order right and then we're gonna yep okay. um so after this i'm probably gonna leave it open for a couple more days mm-hmm. and then i'll still leave it open but we're gonna do an order for what we have now okay. and a few extras. So if you guys want to get your actual sizes in. Um, order, order, now. order. Yeah. We, we can't yeah. order them if we don't know you want them. Mm-hmm. It's the truth. That's how it goes. So yeah, do that. Our merch is super cool. We have t-shirts, tank tops, tote bags, and hoodies. Yep. I want a hoodie mm-hmm. so bad. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm going to order super it. super soft, too. Oh, I can't wait. I love mm-hmm. a good hoodie for the fall. Yeah. Around a campfire. Yep. Oh, campfire. That's yeah, coming soon, stories. too. Yeah, I think our campfire stories are in two weeks. Maybe, yeah. So we're doing our next live the weekend of the 20th. So is that like the 18th or 19th? I don't know what day it is right now mm-hmm. because quarantine has done us all dirty and we everything blends into one another. I can tell you. It's the 18th. Friday the 18th will be our campfire stories okay. for September. Uh, so, yes, yeah, tune in to that live. We'll have some ads for it this coming week. Um, they're always at 10 o'clock, and they're on Facebook Live, and we love talking to you guys and telling you weird stories. Mm-hmm. So that's super fun. Uh, also, merchandise-wise, we've talked about ordering masks in the past, but they weren't crazy economical. But if there's a huge demand and you guys want them, please tell us, and yeah. we can revisit that topic. Yeah, or if there's anything else that you want, let us know. Oh, yeah, if there's anything you want to see our logo on or any other stuff. I mean, if you have art Mm -hmm. or there's art you want to see, we're Mm -hmm. open, basically. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about merchandise on social media. Okay. Move it there. Yeah. (laughs) Next, if you like what we're doing over here, please pop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It only takes a second, but it would mean the world to us. And as I have mentioned a few times in the past, Leslie and I are basically 700-year-old vampires that use validation to keep us young and vital. Yeah. And we got... um my baby's blood glass was, like, filling this week. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it must be working. It is, yeah, for sure. Oh, man. Without our validation, we do crumble into dust by morning, so. Yes, so I appreciate those reviews that came in. Same, (laughs) and nobody wants that to happen, so please hook us up with a review. And as always, if you would like to further support We Would Be Dead, you can head on over to Patreon and leave us a little monthly donation. Existing patrons, please also message us your mailing address. Please. Yes, yes, yes. You can um, send us an email. You can send us a message via Facebook or via Instagram. We answer and check all of those things. So just leave us your mailing address so we can send you your little prize. And with that, let's get on with the show. Yay. Woo. Poison 
It's so mysterious, dangerous, and elegant that there's a perfume named after it. Mm. I don't love it. But you know what? Some people do, so that's all that matters. There's something about death by poisoning that feels upscale. Mm -hmm. No one gets their hands dirty. There's no violence. And it's always intricately planned. One cannot just poison someone on a whim. Clinical psychologist Joni Johnston states in her article, A Psychological Profile of a Poisoner, which is very interesting and I will put a link to in our show notes, quote, Killing someone with poison by its very nature requires careful planning and subterfuge, so it comes as no surprise that poisoners tend to be cunning, sneaky, and creative. Johnston adds that poisoners, quote, tend to be tend to avoid physical confrontation and instead rely on verbal and emotional manipulation to get what they want from others. Deborah Bloom, the author of The Poisoner's Handbook, more directly claims that, quote, poisonings are committed by people who believe they are going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I agree with that. Yeah. It is because of this and our very cunning and intelligent nature that poisoning has long been branded a woman's crime. And you know what? I am willing to own that. Tell us why, Holly. I will take being lumped in with the poisoners, even though statistics will show that the majority of convicted prisoners, especially when the victim is a woman, are men. Please notice, however, that I said convicted. Oh. Mm-hmm. This simply means that more men get caught. I like that fact. Right? I knew you would. (laughs) Forensic psychologists suspect that it is only one out of five poisoners that ever get caught. And so, if that one happens to be a male, it stands to reason that he could have four female counterparts wandering around scot-free. Even the greatest fake detective to be reimagined a thousand times, Sherlock Holmes, has claimed poison to be a woman's work. Hmm. Yep, in one of the 1940-something films and then also uh, one of the books. He does mention that poisoning is like women are poisoners. Mm -hmm. Women poisoners often have been quite prolific during their quiet murder tenure, though. Many of them amassing victim numbers in the double or even triple digits before being caught. Wow. Yeah, so they're pretty good. Don't misunderstand me here, though. I'm not saying that men are dumb. That is, of course, untrue. What I am saying is that men are more likely to commit murder in a violent and less calculated manner. And so, if you want your spouse poisoned, best come to a lady. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. A woman may be like the infamous Julia Tofana, who, from where I'm sitting, is part hero, part villain, and all business. Allow me to explain. You're going to love her, by the way, Leslie. (laughs) I love this. She's like in a pantsuit. I love it. (laughs) It's a very long time ago, but you can imagine her however you want. She's still going to be your hero. Marriage is a historically dicey venture for women, right? Like we can all probably agree on that. Mm -hmm. As romantic as it is to think that it has always been about falling in love and sharing a life together, that just isn't the case. And for transparency's sake, I'll mention right now that we are speaking of of women marrying men. Mm -hmm. Lesbians would never. First of all, they weren't allowed. And second of all, they're both women, so they'd intuit that the situation was bad before anyone had the chance to bust out the poison. Truth. They'd be like, this feels wrong. Let's let's do something. (laughs) Women in 17th century Europe mostly married for financial security, status, 
or continuation of their bloodline. Love was kind of far down on the lists of reason to enter a legally binding life with a man, and considering that over 50% of even modern marriages that most will claim were for love end in divorce, you can bet your sweet, sweet modern independence that more marriages in that day and age weren't exactly great. And there was no way for a woman to exit them. Divorce wasn't an option as Christianity reigned supreme and the church doesn't even consider it an option. But also, at that point in time, a married woman was the legal property of her husband. You know, like a cow or a horse Mm -hmm. or a corn muffin. Ooh, I'd be a corn muffin. I love a corn muffin. (laughs) Enter Julia Tofana. Julia Tofana was a poison maker in the 17th, in 17th century Italy. Some sources attribute the invention of the famous and mysterious poison called Aqua Tofana to her. It was also known as, quote, inheritance potion, as it was a great way to speed up getting your inheritance. Love it. Yes. Others attribute the development of Aqua Tofana to her mother, or at least a woman who is strongly suggested to be her mother, Teofania di Adamo. Yes, that's right, who was executed in 1633. At any rate, both women made and sold this potion, which included a base of arsenic with some other ingredients, most likely lead and belladonna. Just a few drops could kill a person. And as I mentioned, at the time, many women had so little status and power that their only means of breaking away from a bad marriage was death. And there was no shortage of women who wanted to keep that option in a small bottle on their dressing table. As many as 600 people may have died as a result of Tofana's business over an 18-year period. Eventually, one of her customers was caught, which led to an investigation. Tofana was executed for her activities, along with her daughter and several other accomplices, in 1659. While she was an accessory to hundreds of murders, technically, Julia Tofana was also a renegade hero that freed hundreds of desperate women from terrifying and frequently abusive marriages they had entered into as mere children. Oh, yeah. The marrying age back then was around 13, Mm -hmm. if you were a girl. Do I think murder should be the answer to these kinds of problems? No. But I also recognize that desperate times sometimes call for desperate measures, and 17th century Italy created those circumstances for tons of women. So I'll leave it up to you to decide if Miss Tofana was a saint or a sinner or somewhere in between. Ooh. Yeah, I. she's a complicated character because she, technically she did provide a means for women to, mar- to murder their husbands. Yeah. But also a lot of women kind of needed to murder their husbands. <laughs> back then yeah it could be argued so that's a very interesting I just you know think it was a war a war was happening between young 13 year olds and <laughs> I guess you know, I, I just 40 year old men I, I really <laughs> see her as as viewing what she was doing as a service I yeah you know something needed to happen and she was called upon. A job was created because uh, yeah. something needed to happen. Now, I'm sure there were some cases that it was too extreme. Of course. Or people that wanted money or yeah. had another lover or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, frequently it was that these women had absolutely no agency. Mm-hmm. And they were stuck in something, you know, forever unless they took a drastic action and, and like, killed yeah. their fucking husband. <laughs> It was. It could have literally been their only lifeline. It, death line, yeah, if you death will. Death line. Uh. 
Interesting, though. I thought she was a very interesting story. Life didn't drastically improve for women for quite a while after Mr. Miss Tofana's time on this earth. In fact, when I say the word poison, I bet the image that you conjure up is distinctly Victorian in nature. Mm. Am I right? Maybe, well, I mean... <laughs> Maybe not for you this week because <laughs> no. you did talk about slightly more <laughs> modern things, but for a lot of us. And there's a good reason for that. Back in the Victorian era, poisons were extremely easy to find and completely unregulated. Mm -hmm. Take a walk down to your neighborhood apothecary and you could, with one request, procure just about anything. Arsenic, strychnine, cyanide, belladonna, opium, cocaine, codeine, grain alcohol to mix it with, or syringes to inject it through. Nothing was off limits because they honestly thought that everything was medicine. Yeah, yeah. The Victorians, for as buttoned up as they seemed, were really quite uh, an experimental crowd. Mm. They were. To give our theory that the bulk of poisoners are women a little more mileage, let's think about whose job it was um, back then to fetch things from the drugstore and the general store, not to mention who prepared and served all the food. That's right. Women. Poisoning was an easy gig for Victorian ladies. These were the days of formal dining rooms in every home as well. Men almost never even set foot in a kitchen, and poisons could turn up there for all kinds of reasons, most of them medicinal or pest control related, and they wouldn't even raise a single eyebrow. In addition to this fact, back then, if someone were to be poisoned to death, their actual death wouldn't raise a lot of eyebrows either. Illness killed people with wild abandon during the Victorian era, as medicine was still an emerging science. Those were the days of gentlemen doctors who did not wash their hands between appendectomies and got their training in the parlor of their father's friend's home. If someone shit themselves to death, it was probably cholera. And if a person gasped, turned blue, and fell on the floor, it was either TB or a heart attack as far as they were concerned. And there were few ways to prove otherwise, short of finding a half-drunk cup of poison labeled poison that was in their hand <laughs> at the time. <laughs> then they might be like, oh, that was poison. Well, that's what – so when I think of poison, yeah. I think when I think of the Victorian era and poison, uh -huh. I think of them having the bottle with the name on mm. it. <laughs> Whereas most of my thoughts of, po of yeah. uh, women using poison is like the medieval times. Okay. Yeah, then too, for sure. I always think of like sexy Victorian murder when I think of poison. Yeah. It's definitely in there, but if I were – my first thoughts are like – Game of Thrones, okay. Cersei style. Okay, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Absolutely. But the funny thing about, like, thinking, oh, the labeled bottles of poison. Yeah. They really were labeled they were, like yeah. that. That's those apothecary bottles. Yeah, which I want so badly. Yeah, me too. Side note, fiends, if you are interested in Victoria-era surgery, as I am, please read The Butchering Art by Dr. Lindsay Fitzharris. It's an amazing, incredibly thorough, and gorgeously written book. And I have not been paid to say that because nobody pays me for anything at this point. I just really, really like the book and have a great deal of respect for Dr. Fitzharris. So, yes. And her show starts us. this week. Ooh, that's cool. Yes, she has a TV show. I started today, actually, and it's about like weird deaths and forensic. It started on stuff. Sunday. That's right, because today is Sunday. Today is Tuesday. You can still watch it today. It's great. I'll put yeah. I'll put a link or something in our show notes. Cool. Because I think it's going to be interesting and we're all going to want to talk about it. Great. Yeah. Moving forward, when you add very easy accessibility to all these 
toxins to the rather still desperate dependent women living in this Victorian world, well, you get more than a few people who died of not cholera. (laughs) (laughs) The vast majority of poisoners, both male and female, to this day complete their heinous acts for either financial gain, freedom from relationships, or both. There is nearly always poetry in poison, and that is why. So how do they do it? What do they use? And what kind of deaths should one expect if they were to, say, accidentally dose their spouse's hot chocolate with antifreeze? Yes, that is a very common poison. Well, we will break it down for you with some of the most famous and most interesting poisons and how they work and who used them. And I was going to do antifreeze this week. It was on my list. But all the cases that we would talk about deserve a full podcast. Yeah. So I took it off the list. Mm-hmm. So, I, saw, I found a couple and they were long. They're so long I, and good. I moved on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm going to save that one for another okay. time. And um, maybe we can do like a two antifreeze murder okay. week. That'll be interesting. Let's start with the big one. Arsenic. Humans have a real funny relationship with arsenic. They seem to love it, and yet they took a super long time to figure out exactly how many ways it could kill them. (laughs) For a toxic substance, though, it sure does have a lot of uses. Arsenic is used as a doping or doping agent in semiconductors. I looked this up. I still don't understand it. For solid-state devices, it's an electroconductive thing. You can Google that and then explain it to me, and that'll be great. Okay. It is also used in bronzing. So like, you know, bronzing with bronze metal. Oh, not like a bronzer. No. (laughs) No, like covering something in bronze. Pyrotechnics and for hardening shot. Arsenic compounds can be used to make special glass and preserve wood. In addition to all of these current and semi-current uses, arsenic was historically used as a rat killer because it's sweet in taste and an insecticide. The Victorians, though... Oh, man, they loved that stuff. (laughs) It was they who realized that arsenic could be used to make a vibrant green dye called Shields Green that became all the rage in everything from designer clothing to wallpaper. The problem here was that while they knew that eating arsenic would kill you, they thought that handling it any other way would be totally fine. Okay. Yeah, so only eating it is bad, but you can touch it and rub it all over you all you want. Okay. Right. Um, I found out later it was also used in a purple dye. So purple and green, beautiful, vibrant colors. Arsenic, though, can be very easily absorbed through the skin. So you can't really touch it or inhaled, so don't put it near your face, which causes toxicity. The vibrant green gowns and dyed gloves of the day would leave women swooning, and not in a good way, their fingers blistered and green. Wallpaper degrading in the sun and blowing around in the air would be inhaled, or if it was damp enough in this house with no means of air circulation, because none of them had that, the wallpaper might be left to be metabolized by mold. And a reaction in this process causes a toxic off-gas that can render a human very sick to very dead in a short amount of time. So if mold wouldn't kill you, arsenic will. (laughs) Yep. Your black mold is going to kill you a hundred different ways if you live in a Victorian house. (laughs) Oh my God. I know. And the really scary thing about that, and I mentioned that uh, some of that stuff in my What the Friday this week, the, the scary thing about that is there are some homes that still have it. I know, yeah. You could unknowingly buy like a historic home and not know that the green mm-hmm. wallpaper is super toxic. So if you see green wallpaper in a Victorian era home. Get it out of there. Y- yeah. But don't touch it. Out. Do mm-hmm. not touch it. Go in with gas masks. 
send hazmat in or something yes. to, get, <laughs> to get them. And you would think that this would stop the Victorians' love affair with arsenic, but it didn't, not even kind of. No, no, no. Victorian women also noticed that trace amounts could be combined with chalk and vinegar, pressed into wafers, and then sold at the local apothecary. Ingesting these little wafers would give women that oh-so-desirable translucent white pallor of death. Mm-hmm. Oh, so beautiful. Or they could use the arsenic-based face cream if they were uncomfortable with the oh-so-slight risk of death which accompanied taking it orally. So if you're a pussy, here's some face Rub cream. Rub it on your face. Yeah. Uh-huh. Why was this desirable? For racist reasons, you wonder? Well, mostly yes, of course. Yeah. We're talking about America and Europe, so of course they were very racist. Yeah. Victorians believed that sun-kissed skin was a lower-class attribute as only the wealthiest society girls could afford to stay inside, resting on velvet pillows all day long, their atrophied legs collapsing under their bird-like weight. (laughs) That sounds like the prettiest lady. It's so pretty. Right? horribly pale and sickly (laughs) kind of green with sores on their hands beautiful (laughs) just see them with the gloves and they're like my hands are disgusting put the gloves back on (laughs) wear more (laughs) oh terrible I'd I'd like to try the purple ones now (laughs) the color of royalty oh that's much better Mm, (sighs) I'm good Arsenic was also used at the time to preserve medical specimens and in taxidermy. So please, please, if you are in the presence of antique weird things and someone gives you the opportunity to hold one, insist on wearing gloves as it can and will be absorbed right through your skin. Mm. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a situation you'd be put in, but I have been in it more than once. (laughs) So just in case you're weird like I am, you might want to think about it. And at this point, we're always carrying masks and we're always carrying gloves. That's so. true. So just like pop them on if yeah. you're going to be around like a fetal pig preserved from 1910 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Of course. There are a lot of fun ways one can accidentally die of arsenic poisoning besides trying to semi-kill yourself with whiteness or touching a lot of preserved antique medical mummy hands. You could, for instance, simply live in a place where arsenic is naturally occurring in the groundwater and therefore enters your home through the tap. Oh. Yep, that is a thing. In the United States, arsenic is most commonly found in the groundwaters of the Southwest. Parts of New England, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and the Dakotas are also known to have significant concentrations of arsenic in the groundwater. So if you live in those places, get your tap water tested regularly, please. We always did. Did you? Mm-hmm. That's why. Maybe that is why. It does naturally occur there, and you were in New England, so. Arsenic is also present in something called denatured alcohol, which is created with preserved wood ash. You know how I mentioned previously that arsenic is good at preserving wood? Well, if you burn that wood up, it's still in there. Mostly this stuff is used as a solvent or fuel for a burner, but in some places where alcohol is so heavily taxed that a lot of people cannot afford the quantity they might like, denatured alcohol is used as the deadliest substitute in the world for booze. If you need to get drunk that badly, it's probably time to look for help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess people would do that. Huh? Yeah, you can buy – I think the example that I saw was like – it was Polish, the bottle, and it was not – I mean, not that anybody's having problems there now. This could have been a long time ago. Yeah. But it was heavily taxed there at one point, and so they would use it as like burner fuel, I guess, but also if you could drink it and get kind of drunk, but also 
arsenic poisoned. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So don't do not do that. Don't drink fuel. So who used their arsenic powers for evil, you are wondering? So many people. I'll just give you two cases quickly. Amy Archer Gilligan ran a nursing home in Connecticut from 1907 to 1917. I know, big up to Connecticut and their arsenic water. CT pride. <laughs> we mentioned Connecticut a lot. A lot, a lot, yeah. <laughs> when Amy's first husband and business partner, James Archer, died in 1910, Archer Gilligan was the beneficiary of a substantial recently purchased life insurance policy. Red flag. She married Michael Gilligan in 1913, and three months later, he was dead. What? What happened? I know. Meanwhile, too many people were dying in the nursing home she ran, particularly those who had recently paid for their care with a lump sum. A complaint from a relative led to a newspaper and police investigation, which led to exhumations. Her second husband and several patients tested positive for arsenic. Archer Gilligan was tried on only one count of murder and found guilty in 1917. She was sentenced to death, but a new trial was granted to determine whether she was insane. That trial led to a life sentence, but she was later sent to a mental mental institution where she lived until her death in 1962. Archer Gilligan's number of victims could have been anywhere between 5 and 48. Oh, my gosh. Her story is thought to have inspired the play Arsenic and Old Lace. Yeah. Okay. So there you have it. I was going to say, that sounds familiar. That's why. Not to be outdone, serial killer Nancy Hazel Hasley, no one uses that name for her, later became known as Nanny Doss. And was also referred to in the press as the giggling granny because of her bizarre behavior. I hate that. Yeah, it's awful. (laughs) It's an old lady laughing at you. Ew, I hate it. (laughs) Not just laughing, giggling. Uh, Yeah. Mm. In 1921, when she was only 16 years old, she married Charlie Braggs. They produced four daughters. The two middle daughters died under mysterious circumstances in 1927. And Braggs left Doss. She met Frank Harrelson through a Lonely Hearts column. Oh. Yeah. And married him in either 1929, 1937, or 1945. There are accounts of all three. (laughs) She was pretty shady. He died from ingesting rat poisoning, um, arsenic, obviously, in 1945. Meanwhile, two of Doss's grandchildren died under mysterious circumstances. Doss married her third husband, Arlie Lanning, in 1947, and he died in 1952 of heart failure, although he had no history of heart problems. Hmm. Soon after, their home burned. The house had been willed to Lanning's sister, but the insurance beneficiary was Doss. Soon after, Lanning's mother and Doss's sister both died. Husband number four was Richard Morton, whom Doss married in 1952. During that marriage, Doss's father died, and her mother had come to live with her. The arrangement did not last long, as Louisa Hazel died within a few days of her arrival in 1953. Richard Morton died three months later. Nanny Doss immediately began looking for another husband and married her fifth, Sam Doss, which is where we get the last name from, in 1953. Within a couple of months, He was hospitalized with a mysterious illness, but survived and was sent home on October 5th, only to die later that night. Sam Doss's suspicious doctor ordered an autopsy and found, you guessed it, arsenic. 
Nanny was finally arrested and confessed to murdering all four deceased husbands, a mother-in-law, her own mother, her sister, and a grandson. She pleaded guilty to the murder of Sam Doss and was sentenced to life. She died in prison in 1965, and the reason for the giggling thing was because whenever she talked about the murders, she would smile and laugh. She did it all through her court proceedings. There are many, many pictures of Nanny Doss smiling away in court. Ew. Mm-hmm. And I will make sure to post them because they are very creepy. <sighs> and there are about uh, a million other cases exactly <laughs> like those two. Most of them are women, but there are a couple men, and their motives are nearly identical. So usually arsenic murderers like that, like it is not uncommon to see that they had several spouses all of whom they killed, and then also branched off to killing, like, children and other relatives for financial gain and, and other things. It, it seems to me that they notice it's not that hard. Yeah. And so they just keep doing it. Right. It's such a quick thing, yeah. too, so and you, you don't really have to think about it. It's not personal, either. Mm-hmm. You put that in a drink or soup or whatever, and you hand it over to the person, and you don't – you haven't physically – watch them die or killed them like if like murders that are personal like strangulation or stabbing mm-hmm. someone in the head you have to will yourself to do that you have to like watch that happen which is a lot harder than something that is emotionally removed like a poisoning which is why poisoners can be so prolific with less collateral damage to their psyche i suppose right yeah there seems in the case of dawes mm-hmm. i would say there was just a disconnect there from mm-hmm. from things she was clearly Ooh, that girl smiled so much. Yeah. Oh, God. But let's get down to brass tacks. What does arsenic do to you? I know you want to know. I do. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you because I'm both a nice lady and a knowledgeable weirdo. Thank you, Holly. You're very welcome. Symptoms of arsenic poisoning begin with headaches, confusion, severe diarrhea, and drowsiness. I'm 12, and diarrhea always makes me laugh. Yeah. (laughs) I do. I always feel uncomfortable to saying it. <laughs> yep. Every time I want to laugh a little bit. Sorry, you guys. One of the very many, many, many reasons I could never be a doctor is because I couldn't be like, oh, you have diarrhea? <laughs> that wouldn't work out well for anybody involved. As the poisoning develops, convulsions and changes in fingernail pigmentation occur. A weird detail, but a detail nonetheless. When the poisoning becomes acute, symptoms may include diarrhea, again, (laughs) vomiting, vomiting blood, blood in the urine, cramping muscles, hair loss, stomach pain, and more convulsions. The organs of the body that are usually affected by arsenic poisoning are the lungs, skin, kidneys, and liver. The final result of arsenic poisoning is coma and death. So it's gross and awful and usually not super quick, which is why a lot of arsenic poisoners, you will notice, do it over time. Because it does build up in your system. So you can incrementally poison someone with arsenic. Like for a whole week, you can give it to them every day or for a couple weeks. And eventually it will catch up to Mm -hmm. them. But you can do it in little bits so the symptoms like aren't as immediately noticeable. Um, Like in Flowers in the Attic Mm -hmm. where the mom is like poisoning her kids with arsenic on their cookies. Because arsenic is sweet. So you could put it in with dusted sugar and they like slowly get pale and lose their hair. Yep. That's what would happen. We always questioned our mother after that movie. After Flowers in the Attic? (laughs) She'd hand us a cookie. We'd be like, hmm. What's on top of that? (laughs) I'll pass. Next. (laughs) Yeah. So cool choices, Victorian ladies. You could have used quite literally anything, and that's what you chose. 
great. Next, let us depart from the poetic world of romantic poisoning and let Leslie tell us about something a little bit different. She mentored this, like, scary murder bean to me in conversation, <laughs> and it was so interesting that I had to introduce it um, first out of her, too, because I am honestly dying to hear about this. Yeah. Okay. So tell so, us. You've heard of the truth serum, but have you heard of the caliber bean? No. Truth bean? <laughs> truth bean. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Leslie's all beans. <laughs> all beans tonight. <laughs> My next story is also about beans. <laughs> I'm all beans. I'm all beans, guys. We want to make that a thing, so start saying that. Yeah. I don't know in what, how you would use it, but like we'll think of it. Yeah, I'll bring it back around. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm just all beans tonight. Yeah. <laughs> like gassy. <laughs> just all beans. <laughs> no, I want it to mean like oh, I'm just flustered or confused. Yeah. Guys, I'm all beans. I'm all beans. <laughs> Okay. In the 19th century Nigeria, justice was served by magic beans. Ooh. The caliber bean, to be exact, named after the caliber region in the River Delta. Nigerians would use the beans in an ordeal, which is a trial or test to determine an individual's guilt or innocence. Hmm. They would make the accused swallow the bean, and if they survived, they were innocent. If they died, they were guilty. Injustice would be served. Yikes. The caliber bean is the dried ripe seed of the physostigma venenosum plant. It is the perennial woody climbing plant found on the banks of the streams of West Africa. Vines of the plant extend more than 15 meters tall, climbing high among the trees. The plant bears showy purple flowers and seed pods that grow to about 15 centimeters in length. Ooh. Each pod contains two to three seeds. The dark brown seeds are about two and a half centimeters wide and thick and have an extremely hard shell. The seeds contain the alkaloid physostigmin. Physostigmin affects chemicals in the body that control the signals sent from the nervous system to the muscles to activate muscle movement. Though highly toxic, when dosed appropriately, physostigmin is used to reverse the effects of certain drugs or substances that interfere with the nerve-muscle communication. They use it as uh, for glaucoma a lot. Oh. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, that's the nice side of the truth bean, but what are some of the negatives? I don't know. Mm. Sounds pretty good to me so far. Yeah. <laughs> Symptoms of poisoning may include nausea, diarrhea, <laughs> vomiting, Sal, uh, salivation, exhaustion, chills, dizziness, and muscle paralysis, and of course, death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So even though it helps, like, kind of get your muscles moving, it could also stop them from moving. That's the <laughs> case with much. several of them. It's yeah. very weird. Yeah, like too much can be uh, a negative, obviously. Too much of anything can be a negative, really. For sure. So, For like, sure. it's okay, truth bean. It's okay. <laughs> we still love you. All right, so did anyone survive these ordeals? Basically, they would just be given these beans, like, on while they sat there on oh, trial. God. They would be like, all right, if you can survive having, like, swallowing these beans, then you are clearly innocent. And it just sounds terrible, right? It sounds like witch trials. Like, if, well, that if they you don't drown. You know? Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly what it was. So in this era, there were some witches on trial. Mm. It could have been for a multitude of things. Got it. Um, so yes, people did survive this. Uh, there is some psychology tossed into this test for justice. When the accused would be given the truth bean, 
the guilty might try to secretly not swallow it. Well, yeah. Right? So if you were guilty, you'd be like, I'm not going to swallow this thing. I don't want to, like, I don't want to prove that I did this. Right, like anybody would die, though, so. Mm -hmm. However, it turns out that the poison of the caliber bean is absorbed in the mouth. (gasps) Oh. Yeah, so as it's sitting there, it has a hard shell, but it's like. You're just holding it, like, probably in the back of your cheek, where a lot of, you you put a lot of, like, yeah, the sides of your cheeks is, like, a great place to, like, take, like, absorb That's where absorption occurs. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's funny, because you you would think you would be, like, lessening the effects, but really you were making it more severe. More severe, yeah. Had you just swallowed it, would digestion Mm -hmm. do anything to you, or is it just that, like, holding it in your mouth? Yeah, so... For those who swallowed them whole, the properties of the beans might cause them to throw up and escape the poisoning. So Mm. remember, like, one of the side effects is nausea and Mm -hmm. vomiting. So you might just end up, like, feeling so sick that you'll throw You throw them up? Yeah, you just throw them up. Well, that's what your body wants you to do. Mm -hmm. It's like, poison, poison, get it out! Exactly, yeah. So so that's how a lot of people got away with maybe some being guilty about something. But the innocent would have swallowed it because they'd be like, well, I have nothing to hide, so I'll be fine. But they would still not be fine. They wouldn't, no. Oh, no. But they would they would make it through. So the effects could take place somewhat instantaneously. Like, you might, they might actually give you several beans okay. to, to keep trying, maybe as they're, like, testing you. Mm-hmm. So some of those people are, like, just holding it in their mouth, you know, trying to oh, do that. Oh, just a some mouthful of, them are probably, of beans. Yeah, a mouthful of beans. Some, I'm, I'm sure they ended up swallowing some of them, so they're having some effects. Um, some of the effects could take, like, hours to occur, things like that. So some Yikes. of these people that ended up throwing it up would have, like, problems for days. Bad mm. bean. Yeah, so they don't... Do that now. There were some scientists right, that right. went they to that. the area and they <laughs> you know, saw what they were doing and saw the beans and did more research and understood them more. Mm-hmm. Um, saw what the good effects of them were and the side effects were. Um, so a lot of those trials ended, though there are areas that still go back to their traditional ways. No, truth beans. They're yeah, bad. They are bad. They are bad. But oh. yeah, that was uh, that was the magic bean. If I had a coffee company, I would name it Truth Bean. I like it. Yeah. It would be great. Mm-hmm. We don't have time for that. But if we did, yeah, that's what it would be called. In our next venture. <laughs> we would be dead. <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Made with Truth Beans. We'd all be dead. So. Oh, my gosh. That, sound, that seems like a gag gift we can make. Like a coffee grounds that are, we would be oh, no. made with caliber beans yum <laughs> i love it yeah <laughs> nobody would know really if they were gonna die or just have some like gag coffee yeah or, or actual gag coffee mm-hmm. <laughs> well that was wonderful next on our hit list of famous poisons is cyanide And for the more sophisticated poisoner, potassium cyanide, which is just the salt form of this deadly compound as opposed to the gas form. Do you get it through bananas? No. Oh. You don't, sadly. Or good. That's good. I don't want my bananas to be full of cyanide. Just potassium. Cyanides are produced by certain bacteria, fungi, and algae and are found in a number of plants. Cyanides are found in substantial amounts in certain seeds and stone fruits. 
For example, those of bitter almonds, apricots, apples, and peaches, which is why you shouldn't eat apple seeds and neither should your dog. They really are bad for you. It's not just an old wives' tale. Oh. Yeah, there's a story that I found much later after I had done this about um, a famous figure, and I will post it on our socials, who, who died from eating too many cherries because he was also swallowing the pits, and the pits have cyanide in them. Oh. Yeah, don't swallow cherry pits. Ew. Why or peach pits. You? They're so big. Uh, well, yeah, that's what I thought, but I guess the guy was just like, whatever, it's in my mouth, I'll just swallow it. <laughs> How many apple seeds would you need to swallow? A fair amount, but like even... I don't think it would take a, a whole lot to make you feel not so good. Mm. So just like, why are you eating apple seeds anyway? I'm always... Nobody like eats the whole thing. I'm remembering that episode of Magic School Bus where one of the kids ate a seed and they like took the school bus into their body and oh, yeah. got the seed out. Was that Magic School Bus or it- was that the Rugrat? I don't remember. I <laughs> also remember Chucky ate a seed and to go in and get it out. Somehow. Chucky was definitely the Rugrats. Yeah. Magic School Bus, I like. I have weird. It was kind of not in my time the yeah. first one, but my kids watched the second one. Oh, okay. With the awesome theme song, so good. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> don't eat apple seeds like Chucky. I don't know what he ate. I don't know. I hope it was, maybe it was a watermelon seed. That sounds like more a more reasonable thing to swallow, and it won't hurt you. Maybe chemical compounds that can release cyanide are known as cyanogenic compounds. Just for your knowledge, historically, while arsenic may have been a rat killer, cyanide was a dog killer. So you can see that we have upped the ante. And this one doesn't have a whole lot of fun uses to fall back on either, though it was originally used to create a vibrant blue dye called Prussian blue. And if I have learned anything this week, it's that bright colors cannot be trusted. Truth. They're going to kill you. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are. Hydrogen cyanide, which is the gas form of it, um, and its compounds are used for many chemical processes, including fumigation, the case hardening of iron and steel, electroplating, and the concentration of ores. Cyanide poisoning results from exposure to any number of forms of cyanide. Early symptoms include headache, dizziness, fast heart rate, shortness of breath, and vomiting. This phase may then be followed by seizures, slow heart rate, low blood pressure, loss of consciousness, and cardiac arrest. Onset of symptoms usually occurs within a few minutes. Some survivors may have long-term neurological problems. So cyanide is a very quick-acting one. As soon as it's there, you're, you're fucked. If cyanide is inhaled, it can cause a coma with seizures, apnea, and cardiac arrest, with death following in a matter of seconds, which is why the Nazis liked it so much. Gas that was pumped into large metal chambers through showerheads or vents executed thousands, if not millions, of Jewish people en masse, and that was cyanide gas during the Holocaust. Which is a sickening nightmare, but quick and effective. The same exact words can be used to describe the entire Nazi party. And if you don't believe that any of that happened, you can fuck right off and die. Sorry. (laughs) I mean it, though. Do think do those exact things in that exact order. If you're like a Holocaust denier, I don't need your business. Oh, God, no. Right? Yeah. They can fuck right off and die in that order. Yeah. There you go. 
Nazi shitfucks also used to carry potassium cyanide capsules with them at all times and were instructed to swallow them should they ever be caught by opposing military factions. And it seems like they really thought they were doing the right thing because guilty people would definitely never immediately kill themselves rather than have to answer for their deeds. Hmm. That's an innocent man's move all the way. And please, dear God, everyone hear the sarcasm in my voice right now. I heard. Perfect. I knew you would hear. (laughs) At lower doses, loss of consciousness may be preceded by general weakness, dizziness, headaches, vertigo, confusion, and perceived difficulty in breathing, which is a funny one. It just says perceived difficulty. Like, I think it's hard to breathe, but maybe it's not. (laughs) I don't don't know. Yeah, that's what that would be, I guess. Right? That's, That's what that means. At the first stages of unconsciousness, breathing is often sufficient or even rapid, although the state of the person progresses towards a deep coma, sometimes accompanied by pulmonary edema and finally cardiac arrest. A cherry red skin color that changes to dark may be present as the result of increased venous hemoglobin oxygen saturation. Despite the similar name, cyanide does not directly cause cyanosis, which is when you turn blue. Mm -hmm. And here's the fun kicker with cyanide. Within a few hours of single ingestion, so if you just take like one dose of it, no cyanide can be detected in your body. It's got a very short lifespan. Um, So if someone tries to kill you but isn't successful, you probably can't prove that to anybody. Oh, man. You'll just seem crazy. Yep. You'll just seem nuts. Like you got real crazy sick for a little while and then we're okay and there's no reason for it. Oh. Mm-hmm. It metabolizes very fast. As I mentioned earlier, cyanide, when it could be purchased down at the drugstore, was often used to kill coyotes, or if you're an evil shit, which it seems most people who use cyanide as their poison of choice are, you could also use it on your neighbor's barky dog. Yes, people did that. Yes, it's terrible. I know, I know. Kill all the people you want, but spare the dogs. I get it. Everyone's mad when a dog dies. Famous domestic cyanide murders include the Chicago Tylenol murders, which will earn their own podcast at some point in time. But for now, I can tell you that seven people were poisoned to death in Chicago by taking Tylenol that had been tampered with. The acetaminophen was replaced with capsules of potassium cyanide. The victims purchased their tainted medication at different drugstores in the area, and it appeared that the culprit of this crime had tampered with the drugs by hand. And this remains completely unsolved. Oh. So it frustrates me to no end every single time I talk about it or read about it. You would think that something like that, would you would catch the person, but nope. And this happened, I think, in the 80s, the, the, the Tylenol mm-hmm. murders. I could be wrong um, because this, this episode is not about that. But because of the Chicago Tylenol murders, however, the pharmaceutical food and consumer product industries developed a tamper-resistant packaging, such as induction seals and improved quality control methods. Moreover... Product tampering was made a federal crime after that. Nice. Yeah, so don't fuck with people's medicine. God. There was another case that I brought to you before. The Excedrin one? And she, yeah, that was also part of this. Like her. There's a copycat. There's a bunch of them after Well, no, she was. Oh, no, she, she wasn't was one of those? Before. Oh, yeah. shit, really? Yeah, because she was also part of, um, they actually said that her case was the reason. Oh, no. Yeah, so I think it all happened around the same time. Yeah. And she just, like, all she did was refill the capsules 
I, I apologize because I don't know who the name is because I am saving it for another. Because this is about that. that. Yeah. Yep, totally. But she, um, yeah, like refilled the, the capsules. Same thing. And did it with three different bottles of Excedrin. And so one was for her husband. Okay. And then she just put two others out in the drugstore for other people to pick up. As like a red herring. As, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it was just like three bottles. So one person, there were two people that died, and I think they maybe found, they maybe got the other one before anyone else bought it. Yeah, the Chicago Tylenol murders had seven victims who took the tampered mm-hmm. Tylenol. Because I guess back then, Excedrin and Tylenol both came in like in little capsules with the powder on the inside yeah. as opposed to like a solid like they are now, mm-hmm. which was a lot more common back then. Um, and this, it's the same thing. They just refilled the capsule. Mm-hmm. With potassium cyanide powder, which is like a salt, like salt almost, yeah, it's like fine. And um, I think they found other bottles of it that weren't purchased and ingested, obviously. But it, because it was so widespread, it was hard to. They recalled all the Tylenol yeah. too. Tylenol took a massive hit, right? Cause yeah, they, cause they had to recall really all the Excedrin as well. Yeah, was that also Johnson and Johnson? Because that's who did Tylenol. I mean, I think it's the same. If it's the same provider, that sucks so hard. Oh, no. Um, But, yeah, so that that was a a pretty famous cyanide murder, murders, I should say. More recently, in India, a woman named Jolly Joseph, which is a delightful name, was just convicted, and I mean in August, convicted, of killing 10 of her family members by sprinkling cyanide into their soup. Oh, it sounds like the giggling Nana. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, you really have to want to believe that nothing is amiss in your house to wait until 10 people have died before you think, maybe we should investigate this. Ew. Yeah, crazy. And she just Ew. she just got convicted. Uh, the next one <laughs> I learned a lot about this week is strychnine, which is the last in the trilogy of supposed pesticides. That's what they say strychnine was for, too. Strychnine is a highly toxic, colorless, bitter, crystalline alkaloid used as a pesticide, particularly for killing small vertebrates such as birds and rodents. And it is just poison. It doesn't have other cool uses. It was briefly prescribed by our friends the Victorians as a remedy for heart and respiratory complaints and as a stimulant, but mostly it's just your standard issue death powder. Not a lot of good stuff comes from strychnine. Strychnine poisoning doesn't work as quickly as cyanide, and it's not as elegant and subtle as arsenic, but it is the most dramatic death in the bunch. After injection, inhalation, or ingestion, the first symptoms to appear are generalized muscle spasms. They appear very quickly after inhalation or injection, within as few as five minutes, and take somewhat longer to manifest after ingestion, typically approximately 15 minutes, which still really isn't that long. With a very high dose, the onset of respiratory failure and brain death can occur in 15 to 30 minutes, which is nothing. You can be brain dead in less than a half an hour from this. Wow. Yeah. If a lower dose is ingested, other symptoms begin to develop, including seizures, cramping, stiffness, hypervigilance, and agitation. Seizures caused by strychnine poisoning can start as early as 15 minutes after exposure and last 12 to 24 hours should the victim survive. They are often triggered by sights, 
sounds, or touch and can cause other adverse symptoms such as hypothermia, rhabdomyolysis, a condition where skeletal muscle breaks down rapidly, kidney failure, metabolic acidosis, and respiratory acidosis. During seizures, um, a condition called mydriasis, which is abdominal dilation, so your stomach gets all inflated and large, I'm bad at this one, exophthalmus, which is protrusion of your eyes, and nystagmus, which is involuntary eye movements may occur. So let me break this down real quick. You become stiff as a board, twitching, paranoid, and hypervigilant, which means, you know, like, it's like paranoid times two. You're looking all around. Everything is, everything is on alert. You hyperventilate, seize, you're a freezing mess at the drop of a hat. Your eyes bug out of the sockets and your stomach bulges like Garfield on lasagna day. Moving on because there's more. Ooh. Yep. A strychnine poisoning progresses. As, sorry, as strychnine poisoning progresses, tachycardia, which is rapid heartbeat, hypertension, which is high blood pressure, rapid breathing, cyanosis, which funny that it occurs from strychnine and not cyanide, <laughs> um, diaphoresis, which is sweating, a water electrolyte imbalance, leukocytosis, which is a high number of white blood cells, trismus, which is lockjaw, spasms of your facial muscles, and dramatic spasming of your back called apisthotinus. Oh, I can't pronounce that one. It's a dramatic giant back spasm that causes your back to severely arch like a banana. Mm Mm-hmm. That can happen. In rare cases, the affected person may experience nausea or vomiting, which really would be the last of your worries if you were going through all of that. (laughs) Strychnine makes you freak right the fuck out and die in a theatrical blaze of glory. (laughs) Which maybe is why it is hardly ever used. It's not, you know... (laughs) Yeah, it's not really like a... People would know what you did. <laughs> I read an article that called it, quote, the world's least subtle poison. <laughs> yes, that's that's what the word I was looking for. It's subtle, not yeah. subtle. <laughs> it's not at all, man. If you if someone ingests strychnine, you're like, holy cow, fireworks are happening. <laughs> Basically, the only thing you don't do is spontaneously burst into flame. Oh, but I bet they wish they did. Yeah, I bet they did too. Their eyes are like popping out of the sockets. You're bent over backwards. Your stomach is huge. That's nuts it sounds like they're possessed it and maybe there's merit to that maybe people thought they were in fact purposeful strychnine poisoning is so rare that i could only find one confirmed famous case and that is of dr thomas neil cream who claimed at the moment of his hanging to have been jack the ripper so you can bet your boots we'll be talking about him again Dr. Cream was an unbelievable sadist and a back-alley abortionist who would use strychnine post-op to murder his victims. Dr. Cream also favored giving strychnine-laced cocktails to young prostitutes. He really must have just liked the show. Yeah. Because he gave them to him in, like, a controlled environment where he was just sitting there watching it happen. Hmm. And if you're going to give someone a substance to watch them suffer, that is the one to give them. 
You heard it here first. Folks. Yeah, don't 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 do it though. <laughs> While strychnine is most certainly not for the faint of heart, neither is the military grade poisons and nerve agents of the world that we see today. And yes, poisoning still is alive or rather dead and well, thank you very much. I think Leslie should tell us about another poison now, don't you? You can't answer that because we're the only two people yeah. in this room. <laughs> but I imagine they're all saying, "Yes, yes, yes. go Leslie, go." <laughs> all right. My next poison is ricin. Ricin? Right. Ricin, right? Is it that way? I always pronounce it with like a s, not a z. Ricin. Oh. Ricin? I thought it was like rice, like Uncle Ben's rice. I don't know. We don't call it, what is Uncle Ben's rice now? Does it have another name? Maybe I'm just saying it in my term. I don't know. I just. I'm interested I've just now. Been saying ricin. Oh, now I wonder which one it is. I always heard it like rice, like you cook like a rice, like, you know, grains of rice. Oh. Huh. Now I want to know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I did the pronunciation. Then you I probably wonder. have it right. And I. But maybe been, they were saying ricin. And maybe I've been saying ricin. it wrong this whole time. Because I kept wanting to say um, resin. Yeah. So, right, ricin. I don't know. I don't know. Now I'm so interested. <laughs> Keep okay. going. Anyway. So, well, I apologize to the person on the other end, other end going like, it's ricin. It's I, ricin. <laughs> it's one, it's one of the two. And I don't, I don't know which one is right and which one is wrong, but I heard I it differently. Know. That's interesting. Know. All right. Well. You, you say it however you want to say it. And then maybe someone later will tell us like, you fucked up. <laughs> or I did. Yeah. It could easily be me. Yeah, but I'm the one telling the story, so they're going to hear it a lot. <laughs> Keep going. At least it's not... I won't say the the one that bothers me. <laughs> what? The um, Necronomicon. Oh, that oh. made you so mad. Yeah. yeah. We won't say who said it. Mm-mm. They're, okay. they're great otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If Rise. you can pick out who said that, though, we will give you an award. Yeah. <laughs> And why it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. If you can tell us. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway. Okay. Ryzen. <laughs> Ryzen is a poison found naturally in castor beans. So see, guys, I'm all beans tonight. I'm all beans. All beans. How do I pronounce this? I'm all beans. If castor beans are chewed and swallowed, the released ricin can cause injury. Ricin can be made from waste material left over from processing castor beans. Um, it can be in the form of a powder, a mist, or a pellet, or it can be dissolved in water or weak acid. It is a stable substance under normal conditions, but it can be inactivated by heat above 176 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh. Real hot. Yeah. Where ricin is found, um, is in the castor beans. Uh, they are processed throughout the world to make castor oil. We use castor oil at our shop, too. Don't Uh, drink it. No. Well, you can you can drink it. It, it does yeah. make you barf, though. It does, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, don't drink don't it. Don't drink it. But, I mean, <laughs> it's not like drinking, like, a shot of olive oil or something. <laughs> not the Do same. people do that? Yeah, like, extrovert. Yeah, that's like, go to Italy. It's delicious. You just drink it? Yeah, you can have, like, a shot of olive oil. I if you go to the Cape May Olive Oil Company, you just taste olive oil. No, it's delicious. Not the one, not the shitty... Stuff you buy I in the store, can't imagine like real drinking olive oil, oil is delicious. I can't imagine drinking any oil. John Radicasca is going to be like, yeah, it is, girl. It's delicious. <laughs> Drink it? Yep. I think I would barf. You wouldn't. It's I delicious. W- okay. I trust you. Have real 
olive oil. Just like a spoon and of extra it? virgin, extra virgin olive oil. Why? Why is it so much better to be an extra virgin? It's fine. It's just it's nicer. Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) That that feels judgy to me, but it's okay. All right. So risin is part of the waste mash produced when castor oil is made. Um, It has been used experimentally in medicine to kill cancer cells. Oh, so it's good. Mm -hmm. Good too. Also bad. It would take a deliberate act to make risin and use it to poison people. Unintentional exposure to risin is highly unlikely, except through the ingestion of castor beans. So you could have the beans, but you'd have to have a shit ton of them. Yeah. Don't yeah. Yeah, don't eat castor beans then. Yeah. But otherwise, it's just like the weight. It's like as you're making the oil, you're just taking the that waste. The cast off? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if made into a partially purified material or refined into a terrorist or warfare agent, rising could be used to expose people through the air, food, or water. Ooh, through the air. Mm-hmm. In 1978, Georgi Markov, a bar- Bulgarian writer and journalist who was living in London, died after he was attacked by a man with an umbrella. An umbrella, you say? The umbrella had been rigged to inject a poison risin pellet under Markov's skin. That's crazy James Bond shit. It's super crazy. We're going to talk more about him um, in a little bit. Okay. But that was it's so good. This is the craziest story. In the 1940s, the U.S. military experimented with using risin as a possible warfare agent. In some reports, risin has possibly been used as a warfare agent in the 1980s in Iraq and more recently by other terrorist organizations. Risin poisoning is not contagious. Um, (laughs) So that's good. Great. Yes. (laughs) As opposed to all those contagious poisons. Yes. Uh, Risen-associated illnesses cannot be spread from person to person through casual contact. However, if you come into contact with someone who has resin on their or risin on their body or clothes, you could become exposed to it. Oh. So you just have to like immediately take off your clothes, like whatever. Like if you yeah, they say that with with cyanide gas too mm-hmm. that you have to like anything that it touched, you have to immediately take it off. Yeah, yeah, it works real fast. Mm-hmm. So how does risin work? Risin works by getting inside the cells of a person's body and preventing the cells from making the proteins they need. Without the protein, cells died. Eventually, this is harmful to the whole body and death may occur. Effects of risin poisoning depend on whether risin was inhaled, ingested, or injected. Um, So here are the symptoms, if you got any of these. Wait. Yeah. Would the pellet... That went into that guy's leg be considered injecting it or would it be considered like skin absorption? Because it didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his, so I get. Because didn't he like open the umbrella and it shot out into his leg? But I think that it like got in to his leg. Okay. So I think there is some skin absorption, but well, no, injection would have been like an IV. Yeah, like so into this your would, vein. Yeah, so this is this is definitely an absorption thing. Okay, interesting. And I'll mention Just that curious because that's like. A very weird way to get it to somebody. It is, yeah. <laughs> but again, it acts really fast. So, Thanks. yeah. And that's why it could be passed through water. So, like, even kind of like COVID right now, like, yeah. it's like droplets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, Yeesh. very easily. So, anybody that could have been around him at the time, if anybody was close to him when he got hit with the pellet. Oh, they could still yeah, have. Yeah, if that oh, was. Gosh. Like, yeah, if it if it entered the air, it could have also other people could have gotten it. Wow. 
Um, all right, so signs and symptoms of rise in exposure. The major symptoms of rise in poisoning depend on the route of exposure and the dose received, though many organs may be affected in severe cases. Initial symptoms of rise in poisoning by inhalation may occur, occur as early as 4 to 8 hours and as late as 24 hours after exposure. Following ingestion of risin, initial symptoms typically occur in less than 10 hours. So it still is like a later thing. So yeah. he would have gotten hit and went home and then started to feel sick later. You know, I remember when this happened. I'm pretty sure this was relatively recently, right? The guy with the ricin? Um, I mean, it was like the end of the 70s. Never mind. Then I'm thinking of a different Yeah, guy but this that was is, a, yeah, I mean, people still use this. I'm thinking, I'm definitely thinking of a different attack then because I remember one, and I thought it was ricin, that was another like Russian political thing. Mm-hmm. Where the guy was poisoned, and it took it took like significant time to affect. So he was like, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. Right. I'll just see which one that was. You guys can tell us if you remember. His face got all weird and fucked up. Ooh. Yeah, he looked okay. Not great. All right. So again, there's three ways um, of being exposed: inhalation, ingestion, or skin and eye exposure. So for inhalation, within a few hours of inhaling significant amounts of risin, the likely symptoms would be respiratory distress, which difficulty breathing, fever, cough, nausea, and tightness in the chest. Heavy sweating may occur as well as fluid building up in the lungs. This may... This would make breathing even more difficult and the skin might turn blue. Excess fluid in the lungs would be diagnosed by an x-ray or by listening to the chest with a stethoscope. Uh, Finally, low blood pressure and respiratory failure may occur, leading to death. In cases of known exposure of risin, people having respiratory symptoms should seek medical care. So let let us know, guys. Yeah, Yeah. see a doctor. If you're suffocating to death. Yes. All right. If you ingested it, okay. if someone swallows a significant amount of risin, he or she would likely develop vomiting and diarrhea <laughs> that may become bloody, bloody <laughs> diarrhea. Okay. Severe dehydration may be the result followed by low blood pressure. Other signs and, or symptoms may include seizures and blood in the urine. Within several days, the person's liver spleen and kidneys might stop working and the person could die yeah i think they could i think they could nothing works anymore you're Mm -hmm. dead skin and eye exposures it gets in your eye it could yeah that's awful yeah because say it gets just like covid again if it gets on your hands and you're like rubbing your eye and and it makes you like cough yourself to that maybe it is covid well that's yeah, I was thinking the same thing. No, we're not going to say there's that. A couple, there's a couple different things, yeah, that makes it not true, but. It's, no, COVID's yeah. real. Don't go go run away with yeah. the freaking Holocaust deniers yeah. if you don't think it is. Oh, my God. All right, skin and eye exposure. Risen is unlikely to be absorbed through normal skin. So, you know, weird <laughs> Your weird skin, skin is yeah. fine. But normal skin, not so much. <laughs> I'm very rashy. I'll never get that. It'll be fine. Just kidding. I'm not. It, yeah. <laughs> Contact with risin powders or products may cause redness and pain of the skin and the eyes. Yeah. However, if you touch risin that is on your skin and then eat food with your hands or put your hands in your mouth, you may ingest some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you That's might. How, you just might. I mean, <laughs> get it on that sandwich bread. Stop it. Ugh. <laughs> Death from rising poisoning could take place within 36 to 72 hours of exposure, depending on the route of the exposure and the doses received. So, how do authorities confirm cases of suspected rising poisoning? Tell us, please. If authorities suspect that people have inhaled risin, a potential clue would be that a large number of people who had been close to each other rapidly developed fever, (laughs) cough, or excess fluid in their lungs. So I can tell you have it because other people have it. (laughs) No. Which again, this I was just like, oh my God, this is just like COVID. Oh God. (laughs) These symptoms would likely be followed by severe breathing problems and possibly death. Yeah, death is just going to keep happening. It's coming. It's, it's coming, coming for you. If in suspected situation where Ryzen may have been uh, disseminated, preliminary environmental testing by public health or law enforcement authorities detects Ryzen in powders or materials released into the immediate environment. Persons occupying... I don't know why I didn't rewrite this. I apologize. <laughs> I just left this sentence in here. Like, <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, so if they, I mean, they're just going to test all around. They're basically going to quarantine you and figure out what, if you, if you what has happened. Slash yeah, rice yeah, and poison. what is going on in all the people surrounding that area. Because if other people have it, mm-hmm. you might have it, and you all have it. Yes. <laughs> Good. All right, how rise and poisoning is treated. Tell me how. Because no antidotes exist for risin, the most important factor just try to avoid it. Just don't get it. Just don't get hit with pellets from, yeah. an umbre- from an umbrella. Just don't do it. If exposure cannot be avoided, <laughs> the most important factor is then getting the risin off of the body as quickly as possible. <laughs> Take a shower. Quickly. <laughs> Find a hose. Who are off. these instructions for? This is so... What is wrong with these people? I don't know. Anyway, all right, let's go to the let's go to the case. Let's do it. Tell me, okay. tell me a case. On September 7th, 1978, Georgie Markov, a Bulgarian defector working for the BBC World Service, was walking across Waterloo Bridge when he felt a sharp pain in his leg. Ooh. The man behind him, who was carrying an umbrella, fled in a taxi. Four days later, Markov died in the hospital and a post-mortem found he had been injected with a pellet containing the deadly poison ryzen, probably injected from the weapon disguised as an umbrella. That's crazy. See, I thought it was his umbrella, and he opened it, but there was, like, a guy with an umbrella behind him. That's even yeah, just more like James Bond. By. Yeah, just a guy walking by that just, like, slightly opened his umbrella, That's... and the pellet flung at him. But why? Why did he get killed? He was murdered on the orders of Todor... Oh, I didn't look up his name. Is it complicated? Zivkov. I think it's Zaikov. Okay. Zaiv. Spell it. Zaivkov. Because I want to say it with... Okay. Todor Zaivkov. Z-H-I-V-K-O-V. Cool. He was the communist dictator of Bulgaria for 35 years. Oh. His rule tolerated no dissent. Is that how you say it? Dissent? Yeah. Okay. And writers had to toe the party line and parrot its praises. Those who were reluctant were uh, persecuted and denied 
publication and recognition. Markov defected in, um, he like went to Italy and he settled. So he went to Italy for a while and then he settled himself back in London. He like learned English and went to London and he wanted to leave Bulgaria because he didn't believe in anything that he went on his eat pray love journey he did yeah he was, it was just fine. like so he he was a writer he published pieces that were not in line with Bul- bulgaria's ideals at the time did not like eat praying or loving right he Got and it. his wife decided to leave and while he was away they held a trial without him so <laughs> yeah they held That's a trial without fair. him. you can't do that yep and they found him guilty of basically just being a jerk. Like, they just didn't like him. <laughs> You're and, guilty. Um, and the dictator, uh, Zyvkov, ordered an assassination an assassination by umbrella. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. No one was ever charged for the murder of Markov. Um, they carried out – it was carried out in broad daylight on the London street, but the KGB defectors, Oleg – Kalugin, K-A-L-U-G-I-N, and Oleg Gordievsky, G-O-R-D-I-E-V-S-K-Y, later confirmed that the KGB arranged the murder at the request of the Bulgarian Secret Service, whose agent, Francesco Giulino, G-U-L-L-I-N-O, was given the weapon. So they, so they're saying like this was the guy that did it, right? But they can't prove anything. The docu- the documents concerning the case were later destroyed to remove hard evidence. Yikes! Yikes! After his death, uh, Markov's works were uh, withdrawn from circulation in Bulgaria, oh, no. and his name was not mentioned by media until after the fall of communism in 1989. Wow! Yeah, but um, his wife like says some things too about him, like. She's like, yeah, he just, he really said some mean things about, like, the government. I mean, fine. At the time, which was fine, but it was, like, she was like, of course they put a, like, she definitely knows that they had to have put a hit out on him. Yeah, that was very organized. Yeah. Wow. Wild, though, right? That is wild. super secret agent stuff. Yeah, it is. Oh, man. Good one. So we've hit all the main Poisoner's favorites at this point, but just for good measure, here is a lightning round of my favorite runners-up. Uh, the first one is called Toxin. Native Indians in West Colombia collect a specific type of frog, the golden phylo, mm, phylobates terabilis and multicolored phylobates by color because of their extremely toxic nature. So we're talking about frog poison. They sweat the poison out of the frog by holding it over a fire um, and then it will secrete this poison because it like sweats it out and they um, rub their darts in it on the frog. (laughs) I know, it's bananas. (laughs) Um, the LD50 is around 2 micrograms per kilogram. If you know what that means, great for you. But what it means is that an amount the size of 2 grains of table salt will kill you. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's the so most... One lick. Yeah, not like, <laughs> stay away from that frog. Um, Betrachotoxin kills by interfering with sodium ion channels in the cells of muscles and nerves, jamming them open so that they do not close, which results in heart failure. 
Interestingly, captive-born frogs of this species are not poisonous, suggesting that the poison is derived from their diet. Indeed, nearly 30 years ago, Jack Dumbaker, D-U-M-B-A-C-H-E-R, an American ornithologist, was working in Papua New Guinea when he, scra- when he was scratched on the hand by one of the local pitohi birds. Guys, I did not look up these pronunciations. I'm very sorry. He instinctively put his hand to his mouth because he, like, got a scratch. So you know mm-hmm. how, like, if you scratch somebody and you put your, you, like, suck on it? And his mouth went numb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not great. Eventually, it was found out that these birds on the opposite side of the world to Colombia have plumage that contains the same poisonous molecule as the frogs. It is thought that both the birds and the frogs obtain their toxin from beetles that they eat. Although the poison is far less potent in the birds than it is in the frogs, which makes sense. Frogs are littler, more condensed. Mm, And they sweat. Well, you can make them sweat if you hold them over a fire. (laughs) Yeah. Frog sweat. Gross. (laughs) Thought that one was fun. The next one uh, is hemlock, the weed that killed Socrates. Hemlock, um, we both said was kind of a must mention, a must Mm -hmm. throw in. It's not the most interesting of all the poisons, but it is important. Hemlock is an extremely toxic plant that kills basically anything that ingests it. Anything that eats hemlock is gonna die. Nothing is like, this is what I eat and it's fine. Mm -mm. But it's famous because it was given to prisoners in ancient Greece as like an out. They were like, you can just drink this hemlock if you, you know, don't want to be prosecuted for your crimes or whatever. And um, Socrates famously was accused of impiety because of his theories and, you know, the Mm -hmm. way he was going against religion or whatever. Uh, Because they can kill you for that in ancient Greece. And he chose to... They can kill you for that now. They can, that's true. And he chose to drink the hemlock. And it has since become the kind of the symbol of the right-to-die organization, the Hemlock Society, which campaigns for humane-assisted suicide for the terminally ill. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty widely known. Yeah. Uh, and my the last one on my lightning round is belladonna, the witch's drug, also known as deadly nightshade. Mm. Now I would love I would love nothing more than to tell you that practical magic did not lie to us, and that six grains of this stuff it doesn't even come in grains will quickly rid you of your violent boyfriend when mixed with bad tequila and Willie Nelson. But alas, not. This was so heartbreaking to find out. I know. Belladonna has a long and rich history as a confusing medicine, though. As recently as the 1950s, people thought it would be helpful for asthmatics to smoke Belladonna cigarettes. Cool doctoring, you guys. Asthmatics should surely not be smoking anything, let alone straight-up poison. Also, liquid from the belladonna plant was used to give ladies an attractive, wide-eyed, and vulnerable look that men so desire. Because if you drop this liquid directly into your eyes, your pupils immediately dilate. That's not an alarming response at all. Dilated pupils means it's good. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. Your blood vessels immediately like, ah! Yeah. People are like, great. (laughs) This is a helpful substance. You can use the caliber bean to... Um, contract your pupils. Oh, back. so if you use belladonna to make them all, all dilated, mm-hmm. you could be like, oh, just give me a little bit of that bean. Yeah, give me some of that bean. Shrink it back up. Yeah, <laughs> okay. that's what they would use it for. Oh, no. In a good sense. 
Belladonna was also considered a general cure-all among homeopaths for a small time and is rumored to be a powerful hallucinogenic with the right dosage, which is probably like just shy of dead. And it is still available should you want to try your luck, but also it will kill you. So don't. Yeah, don't. Please don't. Belladonna is one of the most toxic plants found, and its use um, by mouth increases in numerous clinical conditions, such as complications of pregnancy, cardiovascular diseases, gastrointestinal disorders, and psychiatric disorders. So if you eat it and you have any of that stuff, it's going to make it a lot worse. The berries pose the greatest danger to children because they look attractive and have a somewhat sweet taste. There was, in fact, a case where a woman thought they were blueberries and ate a whole bunch of them. Oh, damn. Did not go well for her. The root of the plant is generally the most toxic part, though, and this can vary from one specimen to another. The active agents in belladonna, atropine, hyoscine, and a bunch of other words have anticholinergenic properties. The symptoms of belladonna poisoning include dilated pupils, clearly, sensitivity to light, because your pupils are so damn dilated, blurred, blurred vision, tachycardia, loss of balance, staggering, That's a good symptom. Mm -hmm. Staggering. Headache, rash, flushing, severely dry mouth and throat, slurred speech, urinary retention, constipation, confusion, hallucinations, delirium, and convulsions. So see, the caliber bean is a anticholinergetic. That too. We had a lot of words this week. Oh. Does it also make you constipated and unable to pee? It can, yeah, but it would it would help with all of those. Oh, so they can't say it's another. an inhibitor of oh. that. So as that's what that is, this is an inhibitor. So maybe it does have it's the it's the anecdote. Maybe it of is the belladonna. antidote. There you so go. So if you have belladonna, always have caliber beans with you. Yeah, but just like don't have either one of those. <laughs> You guys, just don't, just don't do it. Belladonna might be fictionally glamorous. um, And if you've seen Practical Magic, and if you haven't seen Practical Magic, I don't know what you're doing with your life. I I don't know. See, their long, glorious hair is my life goal. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, my God. I want her red hair so bad. They're both so beautiful in it. And the little girls and the aunts. Oh, I just want to age into the aunts. Yeah. <laughs> That's us. <laughs> we're just like, we're going to take them dancing naked in the woods. It'll be fine. <laughs> we should have midnight margaritas one night. Okay. Oh. Beautiful. Yeah, you guys should all know what we're talking about. And if not, like, please go watch Practical Magic. Fix it. It's the best. And those are our poisons. Wow. I think we got through them all. That was I a lot so. of them. The, yeah. Poisons and good. poisoners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have to uh, toast. Do you have anybody that you particularly want to toast to? Um, Georgie Markov. <laughs> That's a good one. I have Julia Tofana. Okay. Our, our heroic from the very beginning. Remember like 10 hours ago when we started recording this? Yeah. And I talked about the woman <laughs> who made poison for other women who were trying to get out of their marriages? Yeah. That's the one. Cool. So two... To Julia Tofana and Georgie Markov. And we also have new patrons. Woo! Yay! We have three. Three. New patrons this week, you guys. Three. That's my lucky number, guys. I love this. I love Every so week, three. Or, you yeah. know, 300. That's mine, yeah, too. All threes. 333. Ooh. Wouldn't that be great? 
That'd be such a long ending to our so podcast. Let's see. Who are- <laughs> I wouldn't care. I, wouldn't I would gleefully <laughs> announce all 333 patrons. Yes. So we have this week um, Beth Olivero. Hey, girl. Hey, Beth. We love you. Anna Heckert. Hello, Anna. It is lovely to meet you. Or Anna, we had a long discussion before we started about if you were Anna or Anna. Mm-hmm. I think it's Anna. I do too, but Frozen ruined that for everybody. Like so Anna Green Gables. She's two ends. Isn't it just Anne of Green Gables? Is it? It yes. Is. Sorry, guys. But she has two ends, and it's Anne. <laughs> it's Anne of, not Anna Green Gables. <laughs> Anna Green Gables. <laughs> I, I 100% do, knew that. Do not edit that out. <laughs> I 100% knew that. <laughs> Why did I do that? <laughs> I will never not be like, guys, Anna Green Gables. <laughs> All this time, no. Anna Hecker, you are such a gift. You gave us this moment. We love you. Thank you. And also, we have one more. Her name is Ashley Shuri or Shiree. We also discussed how to pronounce your last name because we love you equally. Yes. Thank you so much for supporting us, you guys. Send us your mailing address so we can send you a little thank you. Um, And keep your eyes open for future patron field trips that we have coming your way. Mm -hmm. Um, We would love to, if you are local, we would love to be able to safely and socially distantly meet you at some point in time. Because we are so grateful for your existence. So cheers to them. (laughs) Cheers to to Anna Green Gables. Oh, gosh. And that'll do it for us for the week, you guys. And if we had enough money to merit our husbands murdering us, we We would be dead. (laughs) You know, like, Anna Green Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Arsenic, strychnine, cyanide, belladonna, opium, cocaine, codeine, ar- ar- arsenic, strychnine, cyanide, belladonna, opium, cocaine, codeine, ar- ar- arsenic, strychnine, cyanide, belladonna, opium, cocaine, codeine, ar- ar- arsenic, strychnine, cyanide, belladonna, opium, cocaine, codeine, grain alcohol to mix it with, or syringes to inject it through.